This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, I'm Dr. Margaret, and welcome back to Self Work. I really appreciate you listening. I started this podcast about four months ago. I really want to reach people who might never darken a therapist's door, who may not even know what therapy is like or what psychologists are like. And I also, of course, wanted to reach out to those of you who are interested in mental health, mental illness, self-help. So if you're either one of those kinds of listeners, I appreciate you being here. Today, we're going to be talking about gratitude, three different ways of thinking about gratitude, how it works in relationships and why it's important, the relationship between gratitude and depression. And we're not just talking about chronic depression or major depression. We're also talking about grief. And then as the title suggests, can gratitude backfire? And if it does, what kinds of problems does it cause? And what do I actually mean by gratitude backfiring? Then we're going to have an email from a listener It's a great question today. What happens when someone you love is following the advice of a therapist and that very advice hurts your relationship, or at least seems to? I'm going to do my best to answer a really in-depth question. If you get on Pinterest these days, you're going to see a lot of pins on gratitude. Many people are talking about it. The first time I remember hearing anyone specifically talk about gratitude is Oprah. She advised couples to keep gratitude lists, things that they were grateful for about one another. And it's a good idea. It can be very helpful. But you know, couples that I see in therapy are often demoralized, angry, they're in conflict, hopeless sometimes. And all those things don't go well with gratitude. They don't go hand in hand. So I'll ask couples, do you thank each other ever? Most of the time I get a answer like, well, I want to, but I'm so mad at him or I'm so frustrated with her that I either don't or I forget. So basically, no. (laughs) And then when I press the point or think, well, what would have to happen for you to do that? Often I get the pushback. Well, am I supposed to thank him every time he unloads the dishwasher or just because she picks up the dry cleaning? Am I supposed to be grateful for that? I, I go to work every day. So there's often a lot of defensiveness about not being grateful or not showing gratitude, and there's often a lot of hurt that gratitude has not been shown. It's normal in relationships for people to have expectations that others will do their part. Usually you end doing what you're good at doing. I'm a good cook, or at least I think I'm a good cook, so I do all the cooking in our relationship. My husband has things that he does all the time. And your relationship is probably organized in that manner as well. But we can forget to be grateful for something that someone does all the time. They do well, and we just take it for granted. Long before I even knew I was going to be a psychologist, I remember listening to an NPR commentator. She was this wonderful woman, a bit older, at least sounded older. Her voice was kind of crackly, and she was very, very Southern. And she told us a story about potato salad. What she said was that she had a great recipe 
really marvelous recipe for potato salad and that she was always asked to bring it to different events, parties, get-togethers, whatever. So she was flattered and she'd go about getting all the ingredients for the potato salad, go to the grocery store, go home, do all the steps. It would take several hours to fix it. And then she'd arrive with her potato salad and then she'd look around and there were carrot sticks and celery sticks on one tray and there were processed meats on another one and there was cut up fruit from the grocery store and another one. And she realized that people wanted her to bring her potato salad. They wanted her to work hard on it, but they weren't all that grateful. They didn't do their part to make the meal really special. So the potato salad only came out for special occasions (laughs) when she decided she was in the mood for potato salad. So whatever the potato salads are in your relationship, whatever you do a lot of the time that you do very well, I'm sure that you want to be thanked just every now and then. And so does your partner. Gratitude is part of kindness. You know, when you're married or in a long-term relationship and you've got children, children do a lot of taking, right? (laughs) They're little black holes of need. So when you thank each other, you're doing the thing that only the two adults can do in the relationship. Children, as they get older, may realize what you're doing and thank you, but they certainly don't do it when they're young. They take and they take. So showing gratitude in a relationship is a way of maintaining the bond that's about you as a couple. And that's very important for the health of the relationship. It can even be a way of healing if you can begin to notice and be kind and be grateful to one another. Sometimes when a couple leaves my office and they've been arguing a lot, especially in a first session, they'll say, well, Doc, what are we supposed to do? We ran out of time. Occasionally, I do run out of time. And I'll say, be kind to each other and try to not do what you've been doing. (laughs) Sometimes just an attitude of kindness can be very, very helpful. Now let's talk about how depression affects gratitude. Symptoms of depression include what I call an implosion of the self, meaning that all of your energy is going inward. It's very difficult to engage with other people. You're not energetic. You're not even engaged with the present. You're often focused on the past. And being grateful is very, very difficult. Sometimes when the source of the depression is grief, people will offer condolences and say things like, well, they lived a long, good life. Or, I'm sure you're glad their illness is over, or perhaps this was God's will. People who are acutely grieving can't be grateful. They're either despairing or they're not feeling much at all. When they start to heal from loss or trauma or grief, they can return to finding perspective or laughter. In fact, that's often a good sign. Rediscovering gratitude can be a signal that you're healing from your grief, but it takes time. I did a podcast on loving someone with recurrent depression. I can't quite remember the number of it. I think it's seven or eight. And I talked more specifically about the difficulty of loving someone who is depressed, especially chronically depressed. You're not going to get much gratitude from these people, except perhaps they're grateful that you love them through it. That's certainly something that they can attach to. But when they hit a down, for example, if they have bipolar disorder or chronic major depression, all they can do is think about their own dark, chaotic internal world. And feeling grateful is about as far away as Jupiter. 
So perhaps when you are depressed, you shouldn't shame yourself for not being able to engage and participate. That's a symptom of depression. That's not that you're never going to be grateful again or you're never going to be able to express it again. But depression definitely decreases your ability to feel and express gratitude. So what do I mean about gratitude backfiring? Sometimes there are people who, and actually I think there are a lot of people, who emphasize counting their blessings, and that very emphasis can become a means of hiding or avoiding painful emotions. You can so busy yourself with looking on the bright side of things that you discount or even deny things within you that are hurting. Now, I've called this perfectly hidden depression. It's a subject I'm passionate about, and there are actually two episodes dealing with perfectly hidden depression, episodes three and four, if you're interested. But I'll briefly say that it's a syndrome or a group of behaviors when someone, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unconsciously, creates a facade of everything going very well in his or her life so that no one will ask or know what she or he believes is vital to hide. This could be trauma in her past or his past. Perfectly hidden depression can be a result of family dynamics. There can be lots of things about it. Again, I don't want to go too much into perfectly hidden depression because you can listen to episode three and four. But this pattern of behavior has become a lifelong habit and the walls around them are built very solidly. So in order to keep up the facade of this wonderful, wonderful life, someone with perfectly hidden depression on a daily basis would show gratitude. That's what good, nice, upstanding, moral people do. They give every one of their kids' teachers special gifts. They remember the guy who delivers the paper. They never leave anybody out at work when they're planning a barbecue or a party. Those are all nice behaviors. Those are all actually lovely behaviors. But the problem with it is what is driving it is a need to hide, a need to keep secret, a need for the focus to be on other people, not on yourself. And it can be tremendously self-destructive. I like to think of perfectly hidden depression as gratitude on steroids. It's not that the gratitude is insincere, not at all. It's very real. But the one who is giving is in pain. She or he isn't talking about, and again, showing gratitude becomes a way of hiding. It's a distraction, and that's where the problem is. I had a woman one time who came and sat on my couch. It happened to be that day that I was running, um, not a little late, but I had ended the session before her, pretty late into the session, and I only had a couple minutes in between, and where she sat was the same place that the woman right before her had sat, and she could feel the other person's warmth on the couch. And what she said to me was, well, gosh, I bet this person had terrible problems and I don't really even need to be here. I looked at her and said, just the warmth on the couch makes you feel that way? Do you realize how much you're assuming and discounting your own issues? And tears came into her eyes. She definitely is someone with perfectly hidden depression. One of the things that I most basically believe about counting your blessings is this, that healthy people do focus on the glass half full. They show gratitude. They are grateful. And those feelings govern their life. They do look for the bright side of things, as Monty Python might say, the bright side of life. But they're also able to connect with 
fear, disappointment, hurt, whatever feelings they have that are painful. They can connect with them. They can work through them. They can talk about them, express them. And then what a healthy person knows how to do is to take those feelings and put them back where they belong for the time being. In psychology, it's called compartmentalization. And then go on with their day or their life. They don't let those feelings necessarily govern them. So by definition, they recognize that the glass is half full and it's half empty. They can show gratitude, but they can also feel their pain. So let's recap a little bit. You can use gratitude to help a relationship that's struggling. You can become thankful for the things that the person does without you even asking them to do it. And then sometimes things you do ask them to do. It's important if you're depressed to realize that part of depression is not being able to engage fully with others. And you don't have to be ashamed of not necessarily feeling connected or grateful. You're probably grateful that someone is with you when you are that depressed, and perhaps you can express that. But with healing, you'll be able to express gratitude again. And then there are the people who want to distract themselves from their own pain by constantly doing things that display gratitude They constantly only want to count their blessings. They're very uncomfortable talking about anything that's on the darker side of life or the empty glass. And in my opinion, someone who's healthy does focus on the glass half full, but they can also work through painful feelings that are contained in the glass half empty. Now we're going to go on to an email I received from a listener that I think has lots of different aspects to it that I hope you'll find interesting. Here we go. My boyfriend has been struggling with depression for quite some time. I encouraged him to go to therapy and tried to be as supportive as possible. He didn't like a new therapist, so he went back to a different one that he had seen years ago. At the first session back with this man, he was told that he would never cure his depression unless he spent some time being single and figuring himself out. He broke up with me that night. We had been together a little over a year. I was really blown away, not only by this advice, but by the fact that my boyfriend followed it. He tends to make rash decisions when he's depressed, so it's hard for me to trust and accept this decision. Part of me wants to write a what gives email to the therapist, but I'm sure that's not an appropriate response. Of course, I cannot know what my boyfriend said during this session. Maybe it was something that he really wanted to do anyway. But he's the type that is so honest about his feelings that it converge on being cruel or insensitive. So I'd be surprised if he omitted any information to spare my feelings. This has really thrown me for a loop, and I'm so confused by how all this happened. I guess my question for you is, is it normal for a therapist to suggest something so drastic, especially after only hearing about the relationship for one hour? So here are my thoughts. The therapist did have a history with this woman's boyfriend, and perhaps there was a pattern that was evident in their work together before. It may be that her ex-boyfriend now relies on someone else to help him feel better about himself and doesn't have a true ability to like himself on his own or deal with self-loathing or maybe even self-hatred. The therapist could have said something like, you keep looking for your worth through a relationship, and that's not going to work. You need to find your worth in yourself. It may not be that he gave him the overt suggestion, you need to break up. It could be, of course. 
But it may be that the boyfriend simply took that and said, okay, if I'm going to finally address the horrible way I feel about myself, I need to break up. There's another important clue here. What she said in her email was that her boyfriend could be cruel or insensitive. My guess is that if he can be cruel and insensitive toward you, someone he says he loves, then perhaps that's the voice he hears in his own head about himself. Oftentimes, the way we treat ourselves, what we say to ourselves in our own little head and our inner voice, that's what we think about other people and how we treat other people. For example, if you're very perfectionistic, you're going to be perfectionistic with other people. If you're patient with yourself, you're likely to be patient with other people. So if that's true, and he has these very vicious thoughts about himself in his head, then the therapist could be trying to point out to him that he'll never be able to love well when he does that. Of course, there's also the theory that he's using the therapist's words as a way of shielding himself from the responsibility of hurting this woman. My therapist told me to do it. That may not be as harsh as, I really don't want to be with you anymore, or somehow this relationship is getting in the way of me getting better. Now, on the other hand, if the therapist did step over that boundary and actually tell him what to do, then that's not good therapy, unless there's significant danger to the patient or to someone else. There's some unhealthy therapists out there, just like there are unhealthy doctors or lawyers or plumbers or accountants. So you really need to choose carefully and make sure that you feel a lot of trust in your therapist and that they don't cross boundaries. If you're interested, I have an ebook called Seven Commandments of Good Therapy. It's available on my website for free, and you might want to check it out. I'll give you my website a little bit later. So, what can this woman do? If you've been together for a year, I certainly think that the relationship deserves more than just a hey, goodbye. So you might ask the boyfriend to take you to one session with him so that you can try to understand. It would definitely be a conflict of interest for you to see this therapist individually. But if you were there in the room with both of them, You could assess for yourself what belongs with your boyfriend, what you really think is his issue, and what may belong with the therapist. I would hope that if that could happen, the therapist would be willing to talk with both of you about some pattern he believes exists, and the two of you could look at that. He might not want to do the actual couple's work with you if indeed you and your boyfriend decided to do that. He might refer you to do work, and then your boyfriend could work with him individually. But it could be a start. I can hear that you really care about this person and so acting assertively and at least asking for that kind of experience might be helpful. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Self Work. I'm a clinical psychologist. I've been doing therapy for over 20 years in Northwest Arkansas and I'm loving doing this podcast. There are lots of ways to get in touch with me. As I said a few minutes ago, I do have a website. It's drmargaretrutherford.com. My email, which is confidential, is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. I'm on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Margaret. So please feel free to reach out to me. I try to answer all the questions that come my way. I'd also like to invite you to subscribe to my newsletter. You can do that on my website, 
It will contain all the podcasts and also my weekly blog post. Nothing else. I don't sell anything. There's nothing there that's, I'm, you're going to get one email a week. That's it. Oh, I might wish you happy holidays or something, but I'm not going to bug you to death. And that's a way we can stay in touch. I'd love also, of course, for you to give me a rating or a review. That means a lot in iTunes. And lastly, but perhaps most importantly, I'd love for you to subscribe. I'm doing this podcast on lots of diverse topics, so if one doesn't quite fit your life or what's going on with you right now, perhaps the next one will. Again, thanks so much. I'll see you in about 10 days. I'm Dr. Margaret, and you've been listening to Self Work.